0: Okay. Hey, well, so we made it back from Honduras. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about Honduras. I always like to take a little time to reflect before we talk much about it, but I will tell you a couple things. Uh, Seven families have new roofs. Um, It actually was supposed to rain all week and it didn't rain once until the night of the day that we finished the seventh roof. So that was neat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 375 families got bags of food that will last them for weeks And they also got two gallinas each Chickens, yep Um, And uh, just because I promised you Here's this (laughs) So we did it, they were gross (laughs) But it's done Uh, A lot of people have asked like what, what did they do with them Did they save them for eggs, did they cook them we didn't really know. Uh, we delivered those on Saturday, the first day after we got there. Um, on Sunday, we went to church in the same village where we delivered those chickens in particular. And the first thing the pastor said was, hey, how was the soup? <laughs> so so at least in that village, we know what they did. <laughs> all right, we had a great trip. You'll hear more about it over time. But let's pray. Father God, so grateful uh, and grateful um, for all that you have done, for your faithfulness to us Uh, Even in the midst of our faithlessness. Um, So pray that today as we hear uh, these stories from scripture, as we reflect on the good news, uh, that you would open our minds as always, our ears, our eyes, our hearts, that we can receive what you have for us today. That it would transform us and that it would put our hands to use, put our feet to the street so that this gospel message would not just remain inside this room, but would be lived and put on full display for all the world to see through each and every one of us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So we're in week eight of our bear Fruit series, and we've come to the final three aspects of the one fruit of God's spirit. This is fruit that grows and transforms those who are in Christ. Sabrina, last week, did you test them to see if they have it memorized? We, we kind of made a covenant not to tell you. So what does that mean? No? <laughs> No, okay. All right, well, I'm really tired, and I don't want to do it by memory in this week either, so next week, <laughs> next week. Uh, but as we've seen, as we've gone through this each, uh, each week after week after week, uh, we've seen God's people, saved people, redeemed people, renewed people in Christ Jesus. We've seen that we are not to be a people who are either loving or joyful or peaceful or patient. We are called to be a people who are becoming more and more loving joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and a people who are full of self-control. And we've seen that we don't get to pick our favorite, right? We don't get to focus on the one that we're already really good at. We also, we don't get to pick the one that we want to work on next. It's the Holy Spirit's work and it's transforming us and that transformation is total. It's complete. Paul says we are becoming a new creation And we are now to be defined by the aspects of the character and nature of God himself. When you think about that, that's really heavy. Like that might sound like a heavy burden to bear, but it's not a burden. It's fruit. It's what grows in us and sustains us, not just as individuals, but as the church. And a church that is bearing fruit into the world is a gift that is given to the world to help nourish and sustain it. So today, as Beth set us up, we're going to talk about faithfulness. And first, I want to read a passage from 2 Samuel that goes on to describe this radical nature of God's faithfulness. And then I want to look at a story that's going to put that faithfulness to the test. And then finally, as always, we'll ask, so what? What does all this mean for our daily lives? So we're going to start with a story from the life of David. There's over 40 chapters in the Old Testament that are devoted to God's faithfulness to David and then the stories of David's failures and his faithfulness. By the time we get here in 2 Samuel 7, David is king and he's offered to build God a house. He said, God, I'll build you a temple. And then God gives the prophet Nathan a message to give to David and he has a response. He basically says, "Hmm, no thanks, I'm good. (laughs) Actually, I'm the one who's gonna build a house for you. So this is what he says in 2 Samuel 7. The Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, who I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Then the prophet Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. This is the word of the Lord thanks be to God. Now, as Christians, when we read passages like that, we tend to see them in reference to Jesus. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And we typically think he's talking about Jesus, but he's not actually referring to Jesus. He actually can't be referring to Jesus because of this verse. It says, I will be his father, he will be my son when he does wrong. (laughs) I will punish him with a rod wielded by men that's our first clue that this is not talking about jesus at all this is simply referring to the actual offspring of david starting with his son solomon and then solomon's son and his son's son all of the kings who are going to follow after david's death and the point that god's making in this message is really simple david your offspring will all become kings just like you And they will have great power and authority and blessing. God will call them his sons. He will be their father. They will face challenges. And through those challenges, they're going to be called to remain faithful to God and to God's people throughout. But they will all fail. From David's son, Solomon, who is the one who builds the first temple to God in Jerusalem, to his son, Rehoboam, all the way to the final king in the line, Zedekiah, they all face challenges, and at some point, in one way or another, they all fail. So, God's word to David is simple God will be faithful to his promises to you regardless. My love will never be taken away from him, meaning each of these specific descendant kings who fail. To David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, your throne. Will be established forever. This is God's faithfulness. In spite of human failure, in spite of human faithlessness, God will always be faithful to his promises. A Hebrew word for today this is the Hebrew word emet. It means stability, reliability, trustworthiness, and faithfulness. Now, you remember I've told you many times the Hebrew language is all about images. So there's a metaphor, there's an image that simply and clearly defines this word for us. Listen to this from Psalm 18. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my what? My fortress and my deliverer. My God is my, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Now, a rock, if you think about it, is actually a really strange metaphor for a living powerful almighty God because rocks don't do anything (laughs) they just sit there so it seems strange until you reflect on the truth that a rock is stable reliable trustworthy they can protect you from the dangers all around you I remember the first time that Jennifer and I went white water rafting it was actually with the youth group from this church here on a mission trip years ago and that very first obstacle that we faced was like a really short waterfall. And as we went over, the entire raft flipped and every single one of us fell out. Bill Ford was actually in the raft with us. And I remember thinking, I hope this doesn't offend you. I'm a little afraid of the waterfall, but I'm more afraid Bill's gonna fall on me. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't, it was okay. Uh, but if you've ever been water rafting, uh, the one thing, the first thing they tell you to do if you get in the water, is what? Cross your arms, get on your back, let the river take you. Eventually, it'll calm down and your people will find you. The one thing they tell you to never do is what? Stand up or climb up on a rock in the middle of the river. Now, once you're on that rock, you're safe, but the second you jump off, you're really at risk of being pulled under that rock by the current around it. So uh, my sweet wife, Jennifer, is an absolute rule follower at all times, except this one time. (laughs) We fell out of that raft. The rule bender, and that's probably being charitable to me, the rule breaker did exactly what I was told, shot down the river. And as I'm going down that river, I look to my left and I see my sweet wife standing on top of a rock (laughs) This huge rock right in the middle of this raging river. To be fair, even rule followers can panic in the midst of a crisis, it's okay. Now, thankfully, she made it off that rock safe and sound, obviously, but we have not been whitewater rafting ever since. Um, Now, of all metaphors, all metaphors and analogies, they break down at some point. Of course, that rushing water will eventually erode that rock. But in the moment, standing on top of that rock, That stable, reliable rock. It was actually the safest place that she could be in that moment. She was surrounded by chaos. She was safe as long as she stayed on the rock. But of course, she couldn't stay there forever. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. Stable, reliable, trustworthy, faithful, a solid rock. That is the image that defines the Hebrew word emet. God is emet. In the midst of the chaos raging all around you, God is faithful. So now that we have that, I want to quickly look at a story that you're all familiar with. But I would imagine that some of you aren't quite aware that this story actually isn't about a flood. The story that I'm going to tell you, it's actually describing a moment in the heart of God when God's faithfulness, when his emet was seriously put to the test. Human self-centeredness, our brokenness, our sin, it had become intolerable to God. And God had real feelings about it. And he truly wrestled with what he was going to do in response. So let me read this. This is from Genesis 6. And I'm gonna read just certain verses from Genesis six through nine just to kind of frame the story. So it says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Sit with that verse for a second. (laughs) The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created and with them, the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Now, if we stop there, that is terrifying. But what's really interesting about those verses that I read you, those three verses, those verses are the internal thoughts of God. God. God is not talking to a human. There's no conversation. There's no back and forth. This is not the words of a human trying to understand the nature and the character of God. Those three verses are given to us as God self-revealing a moment when his faithfulness to us was seriously tested. His desire was to completely and totally undo creation. We had become so broken that he regretted making us. The boundaries that God set up for us, I created you to live in a particular way. If you live in that particular way, everything will go well for you. Those boundaries, we crossed them. We said, no thanks, we'll figure this out on our own. We chose to live in a way that was inconsistent with the way we were created to live. So God decided, okay, I'll just remove all the boundaries then. You want to live a life with no boundaries? You want to do whatever you want? Fine. This is life with no boundaries. That boundary that separates the waters above from the waters below? Gone. Now the chaos that was there before creation is back, and here is your great flood. Your act of de-creation. Terrible suffering and loss because of it. But... But there was still hope. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of God's suffering about what had happened to humanity, he looked and he saw a man and his family. And he made a choice. There will be judgment, there will be punishment, but it will not be total it will not be complete. There will still be a future for humanity. And y'all, that's not even the good news yet. God makes a way for Noah and his family. He doesn't give up on us. The judgment's not complete. The story continues and those flood waters cover the earth for 150 days. And then at the end of that 150 days, it says this, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were there with him on the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. God remembered Noah. Noah and his family, they finally find solid ground, they rest, and it's only now that we get to the point of the story. Because like I said, the flood story is not about a flood. The flood is simply a vehicle through which a much more important story is told. And that's the story about a crisis within the heart of God. And the decision he would make about the future of humanity and life on earth. The drama of this story is all wrapped up in one potentially terrifying question. What will God choose to do? We're gonna read in just a minute. After the flood, y'all, nothing changed with us. We didn't change because of the flood. We're the same. So what will God do? Will God eventually follow through on his initial desire to just wipe the slate clean and say, forget it, not worth it? Or will he be stable, reliable, trustworthy to his character and his nature will he persist and remain faithful to us even when he doesn't have to and the answer to that question is pure grace Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds he sacrificed offerings on it the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart this is God again talking to himself internal dialogue never again will I curse the ground because of humans Even though what? Every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. You remember what I told you? When you see a passage formatted like that, what is God doing? Is he speaking? He's singing, it's poetry. His suffering is being transformed to joy. And even though every inclination of the human heart is still evil, we are no different after the flood than we were before. He still says, never again will I destroy the living. This is the point of the story. Humanity started in rebellion and disobedience. After the flood, the same rebellion and disobedience. Nothing has changed, but God is the one who made the decision That in spite of our choice to rebel and live in disobedience, he will be faithful. He will be true to his character and his nature. More than that, the story ends with him upping the ante and making even another promise. Listen to this. God said to Noah and to his sons who were with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my bow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Do you notice what is required of us in that covenant? What does he say we have to do in order for him to keep his promise? Nothing nothing it is a unilateral promise he knows who we are yet he chooses to love us and persist in faithfulness with us anyway he has made a covenant that requires nothing of us it is just a promise he makes this internal transformative decision not to destroy us for our decision to trust and rely on ourselves rather than to trust and obey in him He chooses to practice emet, to be consistent with his own nature and character because God is faithful. And not only that, not only does he not proceed with an act of decreation, not only does he promise he never will, at the end of the Bible in Revelation, that book that we spent three years talking about, what does he do? It's an act of new creation. Behold, I am making all things new. You see, the reality is we are no different than those first people in the garden. We are no different than the people of Noah's time and we are no different from those sons of David. We are all broken and rebellious and faithless at one point or another. The good news for us today is that God's faithfulness is not dependent upon ours. God will always be faithful And the ultimate evidence of that is found in the first verse of the New Testament. The first words of the Gospel of Matthew, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, a son of David, the son of Abraham. The line of David will produce 20 kings that will all fail at some point, will be faithless to God and to God's people until that line of David is brought to completion when the spirit of God brings life to the virgin womb of a Jewish girl named Mary. God will redeem that line of failed kings. He will deliver on his promise to David. Even in the midst of all that failure, that throne and that kingdom will last forever. With the coming of Jesus, God's weapons are now laid down. Rather than destroying us, the wrath of God's judgment is now taken upon himself. And he willingly does that so that we can become his children once again. God's ultimate faithfulness is fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so what? As always, the fruit of God's spirit is simply God's character and God's nature put on display in and through us. So the God who is loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and full of self-control, we are to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient. So there are any number of really practical implications for this in our daily lives, but some of the most important ones uh, revolve around our relationships. And these are just the questions we have to ask ourselves. Are we Are we faithful? Are we stable? Are we reliable? Are we trustworthy? Are we anybody's rock? Are we a faithful partner in business? Will you honor the deals that you've made? Even if at the last minute, a more profitable option presents itself. Can your partners trust that you will be faithful? Or will they come to trust that you're probably gonna bail on them at some point? I have to point that one at you because I'm not a businessman. I don't make deals. The rest of these I'll point at myself, I promise. In our friendships, are my friends and neighbors able to trust that I will be stable and reliable, especially when the difficult times in life come around, as they always do? Can they trust that I will be stable and reliable even if they have nothing to offer me in return? In parenting, will I be stable and reliable and trustworthy for my children or for those who are dependent on me? Even if their lives don't follow my plan or if they don't turn out to be the people that I hope they would be. I've shared my story with you guys many times. My father, he had his demons. My adopted father had his demons. I've never met my biological father. My adopted father, he often failed. But ultimately, it was his inability to accept that I wasn't like him. It was this inability to accept the person that I had become. And it was nothing like him, and that's what broke the relationship. I didn't come from him. He adopted me. I turned out to be nothing like him. And he turned away from me because he didn't see me as his anymore. Will I do that to my kids? If they turn out different than I expect? Or will I be reliable? stable and trustworthy no matter who they become in marriage marriage was given to us as a gift by God an opportunity to practice every single day the kind of faithfulness that God has shown to us but we are practicing that relationship in a culture that's telling you every day be true to you you do what makes you happy you really have to look out for yourself We're doing that in a culture where unfaithfulness and divorce is like an epidemic. And you would think, right, the staggering numbers of divorce in our culture, if they're at 60%, you would think within the church that they're a lot lower, right? They're not. Studies show that they're almost the same. And look, this is not to vilify those of you who have been divorced. There are reasons Sometimes it is the right thing, but not every time you're unhappy. (laughs) And if Christians can't pause for a second and remain faithful, even if for a season we are unhappy or unfulfilled, get through that together. If we can't do that, we are no different from the world around us. Will I be stable, reliable, trustworthy, and faithful even when I don't want to? Will I honor the commitment to my wife even if I'm presented with what might look like a better option? Will the two of us put up with each other's failures and still be faithful to the promises that we made on March 11th, 2000? And yes, we got married in the year 2000 so that I would never forget how many years we've been married. (laughs) She's like, that's why he waited so long. (laughs) But finally, in my relationship with God. Will my faith persist even when things aren't going as I had planned? Even when things are spinning out of control? Is my faith in Jesus based on my current situation or is it based on the truth of his promises? Will I choose to trust and obey even when, or especially when, I just don't want to anymore? Every relationship is an opportunity for God's faithfulness to be presented and put on display in our lives. Every moment is an opportunity to bear the fruit of God's faithfulness into an unfaithful world. And because of Christ's faithfulness to the cross, because of God's vindication of that faithfulness in his resurrection, there is hope. Even though we are broken, we are now able to be the image bearers that we were created to be. We are able to bear the fruit of God's spirit into the world, even the fruit of faithfulness. Amen. Glory to God. let's pray. Father, we are grateful um, grateful for these stories, even though we recognize that they're really hard. Now they're really difficult stories. But the reality is we live in a life that's really difficult. Our stories are hard. We face challenges that we don't want to face. So we are grateful that we can read and reflect on these stories that remind us that no matter what is happening, no matter the circumstances, you are faithful, you are true to your promises, you are who you say you are, and we can always rely and depend on you. So we thank you for being our stable and solid rock. We thank you for continuing to choose us. And we pray that you would call us deeper into discipleship, deeper into that life of faithfulness to you and to your son. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.